All right. So, Sean, this is our first episode. So we wanted to start this podcast, and we wanted to include faculty and student voices on our campus about topics that are important to all of us. And we had Billy Gunn, a film professor here, who had a great idea for starting these one-word conversations. You remember those? Yep. Well, and this actually started off before we even think of podcasts, right? This was just you and I coming up here, like, every Thursday, just hanging out. Hanging out in the lounge in the Teaching and Learning Center and talking about one thing. And it kind of led to having other people come around, and they were talking about this one thing with us, too. And we thought that that would be a great idea for a podcast. Yeah. And I always, I actually, I have these kinds of conversations a lot in just hallways. It always strikes me how amazing that is getting this conversation was how it's making me think about my teaching and how cool it would be if we could share this conversation with others, right? Yeah, it's kind of like any kind of professional development opportunity. It's not really the workshops and the other things that happen that are really formal. It's those informal conversations and that informal networking that you have with colleagues. Yeah. And uh, this is open-ended, unscripted. There was no preparation for these one-word conversations, and we just tell them whatever whatever comes up comes out kind of thing when it comes to these, these uh, sessions. And we're just going to hit record for an hour and see what happens. Yep, right on. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's get started. The goal of this podcast is to place students and faculty into dialogue with each other over the issues that impact teaching and learning in community college. We want student and faculty voices to be authentic and raw. Yes, we're Generation Z. Like, come through. We want to hear how faculty are actually teaching and how students are actually learning. How confident are we all in that we are teaching the way students learn? We want to hear what resources are currently available and what needs are still not being met. I want like full campus exposure, not like, like ah, you got to come, you know what I mean? We want to engage the topics that make us salty. Oh, canvas! That make us hopeful. The Uprise and Mecha and Puente. And that make us educators. Through these discussions, we won't arrive at decisions or solutions. Rather, we hope to provide space for a range of perspectives weighing values and outcomes. When students talk about what has made them successful is always those personal connections they have with the faculty. A space where teaching and learning meet. Dangerous topics need a safe space. This is a podcast brave enough. Dumb enough? Um, empathetic. Yes, this is a podcast with empathy enough to create a safe space for dangerous topics. In this episode, we are having a one-word conversation with faculty. We typically start our classes with it, so let's start with the syllabus. So, Annie, when you hear syllabus, what comes to mind for you? I think roadmap for students on what to expect with the class. But at the same time, I'm like, does anybody read these? <laughs> Do you have them read them the first day of class? or? So I break out the syllabus content over three or four class sessions. And we talk about and work with the content that way so it's not overwhelming. And we can still do other things. So with it being like a roadmap, do we routinely check back on the syllabus? I mean, <laughs> there is that looking at it at the very beginning of the semester. But throughout the course of the semester, do you say, let's pull out the syllabus again and make sure we know where we're at and what we're doing? Well, it's a very dynamic document in a sense that um, I have noticed mine, at least, I go back multiple times after consultation with the students. Let's add a quiz. Let's delete the quiz. Let's uh, change the exams. Let's add the weekly projects. Um, so I found it to be a very dynamic um, 
document that we keep changing after consultation with the students. So if we have we do have tentative schedule, but I've noticed depends on the student population, depends on the uh, where we are. It might change. So constantly is changing. Like the syllabus that I start with changes probably ten times by the end of the semester. Yeah. So it's a roadmap, but it is it's constant reflection on where we are. Are we going to slow? Do we should be slow down a little bit? So for me, it, it, it keep changing is never the same. Yeah. Roadmap with pit stops. <laughs> yeah, pit spot. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So the, the the roadmap in part are the destinations and the pit stops. These are the assignments and the schedule. Yeah. But then the other parts of the syllabus are also governing, right? Policies, mm -hmm. these kinds of things. Do those change as well? No, so there are certain policies that say the same, um, like cheating, please don't cheat, um, and you know, the integrity and the stuff like that, that, that never change. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way around it. Right. Um, but the nature of it, uh, projects can change. For instance, for my statistics, we had a project, a certain project in mind that completely changed because the students want to do something else. Yeah. Uh, no, there are, I think certain policies doesn't change. Mm -hmm. um, but the rest of it is a very dynamic document, I think. Um, if you reflect on what we did, constantly changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a little bit more work on the faculty, that's true. <laughs> and, and Sean, you teach math. Yeah. And so in there, what do you put in there to make math exciting, appealing to students, maybe in that document? So um, my background comes from applied math. At the same time, pure math, but my applied math a lot of times take over my pure math. Um, so any class I teach from, um, I don't intermediate algebra all the way to differential equation, um, when it comes to application of what we teach, is I'm very heavy on that. So in my syllabus, it reflects. Um, we talk about so where you're going to see this in future. Mm -hmm. um, and we try, I try, and for instance, my calculus students, 10% uh, of their grade was what we called uh, real-world connections. Mm -hmm. So they take a topic from CAP2 and they find applications of it in other sciences in real life uh, at what we found. It's fascinating because I, I taught a new applied math. So they come up with this stuff that I'm like, this is amazing, where did you find this? So that adds uh, to the library. So going back to the syllabus, that changed, for instance. Um, our, uh, what, we call, what I call real life connections or real world connections, um, the order changed throughout the semester in the syllabus. I really like that, Sean. In fact, as someone who teaches science pr to predominantly non-scientists, mm -hmm. I find that um, a large fraction of the students don't have very strong mathematical or analytical skills, of course, and we know the state of our nation's scientific and mathematical literacy, right, is not, not what many of us would hope for. And I find that many of them report having experiences where mathematics was taught in such an abstract, disconnected fashion, and that if only someone had made it more realistic for them. So to know that you have that kind of information on your syllabus is very encouraging. As a student, I would definitely appreciate that. As a faculty member, thank you so much. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> we will see what the students say next. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Enrica, you teach astronomy, which I think a lot of students come in and it is probably the most fascinating like it's really really interesting but it's really really difficult too it and do you communicate be. that in the syllabus yeah it, it doesn't have to be but certain aspects of it of course can be um the problem that we usually have though is that um most people think you're just going to walk around and look up right because that's what it is right? <laughs> so we're going to walk around and look up and identify a bunch of stuff and it's true that in many classes you do that but 
it's about understanding a little something about the physical universe that you live in. And, and the frightening part for most of them is that it's really a physics course, right? It's just physics of stuff up there, right? Um, but when you teach the course for non-scientists, which we affectionately term Astro 101, mm -hmm. it's, I, I don't teach it as a mathematical course. We teach it as a descriptive conceptual course. There's certainly equations that have to go by, and we use mathematical and analytical thinking, but we don't bust out, you know, the calculators and do the calculations. And, you know, I'm not under any grand delusions that I'm going to turn them into little astronomers by the time they leave my course. In fact, we know that a significant fraction of folks that take an Astro 101 type course, that's their terminal science course. That is the oh, wow. last formal exposure to science most of them will ever have in their entire lives. That's interesting. And, and we know that from um, so several national studies and the statistics wow. on who takes Astro 101. So it's a bit daunting, but at the same time, you kind of spin it as this is, this is your last chance to, to make a difference for some of them, to help them understand some of what they see and hear when they're on social media, when they're flipping through TV channels, right? So you try to want to, you want to try to capture all of that in your syllabus. You, you can't always get all of that into your syllabus, right? But the joke about astronomy is that I don't have to sell it, right? I mean, we have the best pictures, right, of anybody. Right? I don't have to do anything. I just have to put a couple of pretty pictures on there and you're good. But trying to convey that, like you were saying, Sean, that it's so... It can be very challenging, and because there's a there is an analytical and mathematical component of it, you have to really balance that with the conceptual. And to overcome, you know, a lot of them have terrible experiences, right, with mathematics before they ever get to me. So to try to create a syllabus, a document that you know, without you know my presence even being there, a piece of paper, right, just some document that they're going to look at online or print out and look at that tries to convey. Please don't be afraid. <laughs> Your universe is awesome and terrifying, but it's wonderful, and it's okay that you don't, you know, have a math degree before you walked in here. It's okay if you have trouble determining what change you're supposed to get back at the cash register, right? That's not the way this course is going to be taught. So to try to help them understand that it's that experience of just help me understand some of the cool stuff about the world that I live in and that the rules, right, the laws of physics, they're not that difficult if we give them the right context. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to try to bring across in the syllabus. And it's very hard to do because, like I said, it, they perceive it as a document online or a piece of paper. And unless I'm right there with them or I could give them a video or something, which I try to do, but uh, yeah. So do we have, do we have multimodal syllabi? Do you have... Yeah, Annie? Yeah, so even though I teach statistics, I teach it in three modes, online, hybrid, and on-ground. Mm -hmm. So I've got three different syllabi, or three, three different syllabus for each mode, mm -hmm. which have different expectations and different guidelines of how we'll interact with each other. And this is statistic for business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then uh, I just have to be careful that I'm not mixing up content across the <laughs> modes, because then it's going to be like, huh? Yeah. What, what videos are you talking about? I, thought I sit in a class and I listen to you. Yeah, it's not like thing. one syllabus. You get to use it on everything. No, that's yeah. right. That's right. right. Yeah. It's like when we're in class yeah. doing this. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, this is completely <laughs> online. <laughs> Somebody copy paste it. No, wait, yeah. wrong class. Yeah. I think my, my experience teaching online has given me a lot of tools that I'm dragging back into my on-site classes. Mm -hmm. and, and thinking of what you said earlier, Annie, about mapping the syllabus to the what we actually do in class the first couple days or the first three weeks. If I, this is what I've done, teaching online I use a lot of video and so now there's video in my syllabus, right? And then thinking of this, how my syllabus will map to class, if I know I'm gonna, we're gonna really look at a TED talk on the second day and it's a critical concept, 
I've now included that TED Talk itself. And I don't really mind if the students watch it early. It's kind of that I want to hook them, I want them to give them a preview. And if they watch it twice, that's even better because there's more to reflect on and think when we watch it in class and talk. And so that syllabus at this point, this is how I'm thinking of it. It's, it's if I'm not going to use this paragraph in class, do I really need this paragraph in my syllabus anymore, right? So what I actually do with my syllabus, even though they can download and print it, I've created a Canvas module that has all the pieces of the syllabus, so they'll end mm -hmm. up going through it anyway, even if they've never looked at the syllabus. Right. <laughs> they will have experienced it through <laughs> the modules yeah. with specific pages regarding different areas of the syllabus. So you're kind of translating your syllabus. Devious. You have the document you send through the email to the place we must send it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have oh, this apparatus. I mean, students are used to reading things on like devices, yeah. and so a Canvas page that has the information is probably more useful than a PDF six pages with tiny print. Yeah, cool. Well, mine's that's only two point. pages. Two so. pages? Yeah. Two pages. Well, that's it's because technically, I don't know that mine should be called a syllabus because that's supposed to include right the list of assignments Calendar, and everything. Right. So for me, the syllabus is just the the one page front and back that's the the rules the this is this class this is how you contact me and then my calendar yeah. and schedule kind of stuff comes that's a separate document so right. and I, I really did try to distill it down to these are the only things that are necessary because they don't read it even though we really really want you to read it a lot <laughs> <laughs> to me syllabus means lifeline students just so you know that this should be a document that if you're not looking at it like every other class period you've probably missed something really important I just want to interject that Rika's not talking to us anymore she's talking to students <laughs> <laughs> no mistaking that whatsoever the audience you are now Rika students yes. and read the syllabus and that goes to this idea of like you know people considering the syllabus a contract yeah. right yeah. I mean do you feel like the syllabus is a contract with a student uh, well Kind of going back to what you mentioned earlier about the, uh, astronomy being learning about the nature of science and exploring this unknown world that we live in, I, I think if we keep the scholarship of teaching and learning in mind, when we write our, our syllabus, we keep that in mind that we are encouraging this love of knowledge mm -hmm. yeah. in a student. So if, if, we have a, if we have sentences that are so dry that there's no way they encourage that, let's change them. Yeah. Let's show that fascination we have with our discipline in our syllabus. Because why would you teach something that you don't love? Right. So when we have so much love, we should show it in the syllabus. Sometimes the syllabus are, I was looking at the examples at the conference, they're so dry. <laughs> like if you miss two classes, I will drop you. Right. Mm -hmm. Of course you don't do that. You're going to call the students. You're going to follow with this. I hope you do. Right, right, And see right. what's going on with them. Right. So I think if you keep that in mind that we are teaching them the love of knowledge, the love of exploring the world, the love of beauty of the statistics and coming uh, um, uncover some very unknown things from the data that just look punch of numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if we, if we can encourage that in the syllabus, uh, that can um, uh, create a, a more of an attraction to the document, so they can go back to it and read. Let's just start the syllabus. I mean, this semester, I have, my first sentence is welcoming them, but also kind of encourage this love that we're going to share together in this journey. Yeah, and, and to that point, I mean, yeah, I, there's the other view, right? It could be viewed as a contract, or it could be viewed as an invitation to this discipline that I've spent a lot of time with and I, I know a lot about and I want to share this with you, right? Yeah. And how do we communicate that through maybe the first thing that they see and that they read in the course? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I actually say to students is, 
sociology, which is what I teach, is a lot different than astronomy for a lot of reasons. Um, when Rika tells you that this is what's happening up there when you look up, you have to just kind of believe her because you don't know and you're not going up there. Trust. But then with sociology, if I'm like, well, this is how people behave in this context, you could be like, no, that's bullshit. Right. Because I've been in that context and that's not how people behave. Right, right. And I have to remind them that this is an imperfect science and this is, you know, more likely to happen or less likely to happen. But this is what we know based on using the scientific method in the social and behavioral sciences. So, and, and I don't communicate all of that in the syllabus because like you said, then we have like a 50 page syllabus, right? But there has to be something there that, uh, first of all, tells astronomy, I think the only thing that they may kind of mix things up, they may think it's astrology. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen people at all levels of education do that. uh, You are not wrong. (laughs) And, um, but for me, it's like most of them don't know what sociology is at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And so this is my first opportunity to give them a lesson on paper as well as when I get to see them on the first day of class. Yeah. So it's it's really difficult to do that, though, and, and not have it feel like a contract because that's, that's kind of the way it looks. But then, you know, how we think about it and these different ways of getting it done through video and, and through a module in Canvas may be ways to break away from that idea and show them that this is just going to help you succeed in the course. So, Annie, how long is your syllabus? Um, three to four pages. Three to four pages. But it's very colorful with like bubbles and blocks. Oh, I use color too. Yeah, I have a pie chart online. Nice. That's how they get their grade distribution. It's a pie chart, and I I don't remember who I <clears throat> liberated that from, but I did. <laughs> One of our colleagues here at Maricosta. I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. Actually, I think Leila Safarelli was the one who started it after. They attended a workshop or conference, and all of a sudden the syllabus revolutionized. Yeah, it's colorful pictures. Yeah, because yeah, mine's mine's in color. It has pictures on it, and as soon as I added the pie chart, you could see it in their faces mm-hmm. on the first day in class when that happened. Oh, tests are only this much because the test always gives the impression, right? Right. This yeah. is the bulk of everything. It's the bulk of the summative, yeah. you know, assessments and. They do count a significant fraction, but in my courses, homework counts almost as much as the test. Mm -hmm. There are other components that contribute almost equally, and to have them see it broken down into a physical pie chart where they could look and go, oh, really? (laughs) It totally changed the way that people contribute to the class. Yeah, that has changed for mine. I remember the first syllabus that I created, long time ago, eight years ago. Um, I copied it very much from one of my colleagues at the time. It wasn't here, it was in the University of Maine. Very dry. 60% exams. 10% homework. There were a couple other quizzes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that has changed to the point that, uh, my, for instance, my uh, stat course has, so going through them, uh, they have a module checkpoint, which is like a quizzes, but more of a discussion uh, that they have to discuss and they get points for the quality of the discussion they have, that's like 10%. Mm-hmm. We have quizzes, that is 10%. They have weekly project, that is 10, uh, 20%. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have uh, reading quizzes, uh, that is very interactive, that's like 20%. Final exam, 15%, and they have two other exams, which is uh, together 15%. Mm-hmm. So when I look at my first syllabus versus the one I have now, there's a lot more component 
to my grading than a very dry 60% exam. Actually, that makes the faculty life easier mm. because you don't have to do that much grading. But mm -hmm. then it's so uh, wrong because you miss a lot. The students, they do way more than just go and be tortured during exam. <laughs> They're engaged with the homework. They ask yeah. you beautiful questions. They're, uh, the quizzes is phenomenal. Is, um, they come up with ideas that you didn't even think of. Yeah. You could do in uh, mathematics right. or in statistics. Mm -hmm. So I noticed throughout the time my syllabus, as uh, Rika was uh, mentioned, changed completely. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping to capture a lot of components that happens in the class. Because then we can say that's the student success rate. When we have just exam as an indicator of how successful they're in the class, I think we we're losing tremendously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe we revolutionize their attitude towards learning math, but do we show that in our grade? We don't. Right. So I think this is the roadmap part of the syllabus that students, at least in my experience, do return to, right? Yes. Especially midway, three quarters of the way through the semester when final grades are looming, right? And it's always going back to what's the revision policy, what's the late work policy, what's the extra credit policy, and what's the grade policy, right? I wonder if we think of those two entry points, so how we present the grading, the assessment to students on day one, what's the tone? Right? And it sounds like visually we want it to be clear, right? And we want it to be more inclusive of lots of different behaviors. But then what, what a, do, we, do we ever, do any of us ever bring the syllabus back into class purposefully midway through and say extra credit policy, late work policy? Oh, yes. They need a reminder. Right? Yeah. Is, uh, because students come from a very traditional setting where everything is heavily on the exam. Yeah. So they don't do any homework, they don't do any quizzes, they don't do any module checkpoints. They look, I only do the exam, I pass the exam, I pass the class. That's not the case. Right, right, right. You have to right. participate. So they need, because it's not either one of us, it's not our fault. It's like they're coming from a system that has put it in their mindset. Right. Right. So we need to constantly remind them that uh, dear friends who are our students, yes. uh, there are multiple <laughs> points to the grading in this class. So I think because we are going against a system that is very traditional, we need to remind them. Right. Curry, to your question about coming back to the syllabus, I'm trying to remember. I don't think I do that. I think that as things come up, it's kind of the routines and structure of the course are in place. So yeah. I feel like we are, uh, are at the midway point maybe more clear. Mm -hmm. And if there are minor details to go over, I do kind of just go over them in class, I guess, and then I don't ever ask them to bring it back out, which is, you know, we have a graduate student here, James, and you're about to teach your first class too. How, when you see a syllabus in, in one of your grad courses or even undergrad, because that wasn't too long ago for you, how often do you visit that and what do you think about it? <clears throat> well, it's funny you mention that because being in grad school, your syllabus they're a little bit different, like, because I'm creating one now, I have to go back in this, in this mindset where I'm learning things for the first time. Like some, I remember coming to community college and like, I didn't know what a syllabus was. It was like a whole new concept to me. What is this thing? And, and of course you think of it as like a contract. I, this is the kind of syllabus I'm getting in grad school. How do I change that up to first year college students, like a social 101 course? How do I do that? And how does that look when I'm in this mindset of like, this is what a grad school syllabus looks like. So it's a lot different. And how many, how many times do you revisit those those <laughs> syllabi in grad school? Only to look at the grades, but uh, either, yeah. other than that, it's not much. Yeah, maybe first day. Yeah, first day. Yeah. See, I'm that nerd that looks at it like every week. Is that just me? It must be. Well, how do you look at it? Like, what what makes it relevant? To because go back every to? time I have a question that I think is, I don't know, 
I don't want to say policy related, but something about the, the mechanics of the course and how it's run. Yeah. My first inclination is, wait, they gave me a rule document. Right. <laughs> Maybe there's something there. And it seems to me like no one does that right. <laughs> anymore <laughs> at all. And for me, that's really frustrating. I mean, acutely frustrating to the point where I have to just, there have been times in classes where my students will make fun of me because I will physically take a step back because the physical motion allows me to take my brain backwards and go, everyone does not think the way that you do. That's okay. You just have to remember that. Right. Okay. So those of you that aren't pulling out your syllabi every single week to check on that question that you had, mm-hmm. it's in the syllabus. <laughs> right, so I don't return to it explicitly, sure. mm-hmm. but I started making notes to myself along the way that maybe I should. Here, at this point, I should do X, Y, Z. And so I have all these ideas, yeah. but I don't think I, I have a way that I really want to do that in class. I haven't figured out how to do that in class yet. I don't like any of the ways that I've come up with in my head to, to revisit that in class. So I just kind of let it continue to happy, ha- happen organically, like you were saying, Sean, where some people ask questions, right? And then when it happens, that's the way I end up addressing it. And inevitably, right, there's a handful of students that absolutely have the document with them and they can bring it up right then and they can point to stuff. And then, you know, there's little, you know, clicks that start forming, right? Because the one person that has the syllabus now right. has seven people around them while they point out, you know, the yeah. place that... So that happens... But it would be nice if there was a better, more holistic, integrated, useful, helpful, friendly way to do that. I don't, I don't know what the solution to that is. But the graduate school syllabus, I don't even remember, was one page. Uh, very much do a project or write a research paper, that was it. That's right. It'd be very difficult. I think, if I may suggest, do not use them uh, right. <laughs> at the community college. <laughs> the nature of where is very different. I had a class once that did not have a syllabus. Wow. He oh, walked right. in and he said, I'm going to tell you everything you're going to need to know. And we went, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. You're screwed. And we kind of yeah. were because he was a Nobel laureate. So we knew we were in for it on day one anyway. You don't need a syllabus if yeah. you're a Nobel yeah, laureate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Annie, do you revisit the syllabus? Ad hoc when students ask... And so I was thinking and laughing inside my head as you were talking about it. it's in the syllabus. Yeah. So I do have like this comic on the syllabus page in Canvas that has a uh, professor name. It's in the syllabus. It's in the syllabus to every question that I have gets a colleague asked. that wears that t-shirt. Yeah. So having worked, <laughs> so having worked in corporate, when people don't listen, you're like, per my last email. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I had a very like passive aggressive tone to it when it, when I say per the syllabus, which is why that um, that module in Canvas is helpful because when students have a question, I just go, oh, let's go look at Canvas real quick. Yeah. Um, you can find the resource to it right here. Mm-hmm. And so over time, my syllabus has changed from a contract to a helpful resources to let you succeed in this class. And if you need something, it's somewhere in there. Yeah. But it's shifted over to, if you need something, check Canvas, because it's somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, so this makes me think of two, two of my colleagues in, in my department. 
um, Chad Suyuki, he, his syllabus is a Google Doc, and he uses a, a, a code in Canvas to just embed it. So you go to a page in Canvas, and it's just there. Um, and one of the things he does on the first day of class is he has the students get into groups. They, they do some work on a whiteboard that, that's portable. And then the group holds the whiteboard up that expresses what they worked on together. And all their faces are there, and Chad snaps a picture. And then in the Google Doc, in class, he adds all their faces to his syllabus. And because it's embedded in Canvas, it's just there. Right there's no more work, right. and so that this is make so this is something he does to make it relevant. And I imagine he probably does this already, but there'd be ways to continue to do that throughout the semester. Right, the syllabus just lives, and it becomes very unique to that class because there's ways for the students to even put things into it. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is Jim Sullivan, another person I work with, um, the resource part of our syllabus, right, where we list um, you know, not just DSPS because we have to, that's one of the requirements, but like food pantry, you know, um, um, care, you know, counseling, veteran services, all these things. Um, Jim Sullivan uh, this semester is planning to, based on the relevant moment of the semester, so like mid-semester, midterms, he's going to bring up counseling and how students have access to six hours of of uh, a time with a professional counselor right, for mental health counseling, right? Um, and so his, he's planning to go back to that particular page in his syllabus um, when it's relevant throughout the semester, um, just as a five-minute saying hi to the class before they get going. Like, I acknowledge that this is what's going on. Here's a resource that's in the syllabus that's available to you. Now let's get started with the class, right? And so it's just going to continue, which I think is really, really cool. So how do we, how do we present our syllabus? Right, we have this thing done. We're we're a week before classes start at the yeah. recording of this podcast, yeah. and I'm sure people are completely finished with theirs and it's yes. ready to go. <laughs> right, or we are tweaking it or starting it from scratch and sweating. Uh -huh. So, what? How do we present the syllabus to our students? What do you do um, to introduce them to this document? For my on-ground course, uh, I put it into a PowerPoint. So each slide has a little bit of a piece of the syllabus. As I mentioned, I used to break it over multiple class sessions. So that one slide deck has like two or three slides that I'll cover each of those sessions. But for my online course, I do a video that orients them to the class and Canvas, but I don't show them the syllabus. I show them that module that I've created and I click through and I say, hey, this is where you find this and this and this. And so I'm making them with their eyeballs look at the existence of it, but whether or not they read it, that's up to them. Curry? Uh, for my online students, I used a, a Google site, just template in Google, in that whole Google apparatus. It's really easy. And I did basically a similar thing. I just chunked out parts of it. So there's like a tour of the online Canvas course. There's me saying hi to them. Um, there's the, everything they need to update their computer to access the course. Um, and then there's some other just, you know, here, here's the time commitment, all that kind of stuff, um, parts of the syllabus. And I actually send that out two weeks or at least a week and a half before the semester starts to both my enrolled students and my waitlisted students. Because um, I find with my online students, especially for a comp class, um, they realize, oh, this is not a, I can just sort of dip in and dip out. This is a lot of work. It's not what I thought. So they can kind of shuffle on that enrollment and waitlist. Um, um, it makes the ad drop way easier, right? <laughs> well, I've done, for my on-ground classes, I, when they walk in the door, they're given um, like a student information sheet so that I can just, I wanna find out why they're taking the class. I mean, it, it, statistically, I know why they're taking the class. This is their path of least resistance to the physical yeah. science lecture credit that's required for any degree, right? right? But in the reality, 
no one has to take astronomy. Hmm. I mean, Astro 101 is not required for anything. If you're going to major or minor in astronomy, you certainly don't take Astro 101. Now, you might by accident because you didn't know it right. at that point. But wow. but literally, there's no other reason <laughs> to take Astro 101. So it's really the course that is not required for anything ever. <laughs> there's no reason any human would ever need to take this course. Mm-hmm. So... I want to know what they think about why they're taking this course. So mm-hmm. there's all these, you know, things to check, like, because it's required for my major or minor, right? Because I want to know what their perception of why they're enrolled in this course is. And then, you know, I ask them things about their last math experience and, and you know, what do they think is interesting? What do they think they're going to learn in this class? So there's an information sheet. But once class actually starts, they're getting out electronic devices. If they have a laptop, get it out. If you have a phone, whatever. And it's the only day, because I don't, I don't do electronics in my class, so this is the only day they're supposed to be allowed electronics in the class, because they log into Canvas, and they pull up the syllabus from within Canvas, because I don't bring printed copies anymore. So they get emailed, you know, a few days before the class starts, so many of them show up with a printed copy. But everyone else is feel free. Get out your devices. We're going to show you how to log into Canvas, so I'm killing a few birds with one stone here, right? You don't have an excuse for not knowing what Canvas is or how to get on it because we're doing it in class. You don't know how to not get into your class because we're doing it in class. You don't know where the syllabus is. Yes, you do because we did it in class, right? So we're we're doing all that. But then they get about 25-ish minutes or so to do what I call a scavenger hunt. I don't go over it. They have a little scavenger hunt page, right, that asks some questions about the different policies and the different the ways the class is going to work and the assignments and breakdown of grades and stuff like that because I, there's no point in me going over it. I wanted you to read it. That's why I made the document. Mm-hmm. So there's no point in me reading it because even if you paid attention, you're still going to have to read it again when I get done with it if you wanted to know any of it anyway. Right. So I, I just don't do it anymore. It's more valuable for you to realize, crap, I'm gonna have to work. <laughs> and they're working in groups, which is something they do practically every day in my class anyway. So I need them to see on day one, this is how this class is gonna be. Yeah. So I call it my day one engineering. It's my you know social engineering, it's my cultural engineering, it's the scientific engineering of how the course is gonna work. And they have no idea that they're actually doing class, you're just doing it as a syllabus now. This is how the class is going to work, but your first material is your syllabus. Mm-hmm. And they do have a syllabus quiz. It counts as their first set of reading questions. And, yeah, I don't go over it. When they get done with that, they have a chance to ask questions, obviously, about anything that they want, any of the questions, make sure they got them all right. But I don't just go over them. They need to get used to that. If you want the answer to something, you have the chance to ask. But if you don't ask, we're moving on. So I have to get them used to that mindset, and that's how I do it on day one. So. Part of it, I realize, then, is my fault, right? Because they're not used to that. Right. And so I've set up this expectation that they're not used to, so I have to keep helping them practice, and I get that. But as many times as you mention it in class, right? It's in the syllabus. It's in the syllabus. It's in the syllabus. <laughs> and then they forget, right? It only takes, like, two weeks before they forget, oh, we have this document. Uh, it's a, yeah. Right. Yeah. And very, very similar yeah. to what you do, I try to use the syllabus to replicate the routines that they're going to experience throughout the duration of the semester. And... Uh, the first day, we don't talk about the syllabus at all, and I do team-based learning, so we're forming these teams that they're going to stay in the entire semester. And then on the second day, well, in between the first and the second day, I say, it is your responsibility to look over the syllabus. There's going to be a syllabus quiz, and then we're going to do something with the syllabus in our teams. And so when they return to class, there's a quiz that they take individually on the syllabus, and then they take the quiz again as a team, and they can you know, share answers with each other, and they submit that same quiz as a team, and this is what they do for every major content 
um, unit as well in the course. And then we do an activity with the content and the content is a syllabus. So they do a syllabus presentation in teams and they present each team's responsible for two pages or um, a little more than a page. And they come up with some creative way to get all of the information on the syllabus out to their classmates. And so what they've come up with all sorts of good stuff. They, they've, there's been many skits where students play me. Nice. And, yeah. You get, you get songs um, and videos and stuff too, Get right? songs yeah. and yeah. videos and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I've had spoken word poetry about Ooh. the syllabus. That's cool. Like wow. When they're doing That's spoken word poetry about the grading policy, I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is nice. Like, as a teacher, I'm having a good time. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, um, the thing that I love about it is they are really engaging in the syllabus they are really uh you know working with each other and their team and then getting this out to their classmates and then i can just go ahead and clarify as we go right because they read this policy this way and i'm like well yes and we have these other things to think about as well here so my voice is in there a little bit where where it needs to be but it's a guarantee that we have gone over the entire syllabus and we've done it in kind of a fun way. Cool. And that sets up the expectations for how the rest of the class is going to go. So I'm listening to all your ways of doing it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not doing um, almost half of them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for my face-to-face -face class, I used to print them and uh, give each one a copy so they, they can keep it. Uh, for my online, I kind of uh, have, uh, I'm trying to your, do your way. I kind of broke it into a module uh, where it has the different pieces, but also go over tips and uh, guidelines on how to be successful in the course, which is not in the syllabus, but in the module that has the syllabus. And I try not to spend too much time in the syllabus, just maybe half of the class, and then because we have so much limited time, I want them to do work, do an activity, so they kind of get a sense on the nature of the class, uh, the math class that they'll be participating in. So usually on the first day, I try to do an exploration, a, a group activity where they get to do some math. Uh, so they kind of see what's the nature of my class. Uh, if it's not something that uh, they're used to, then you know, we can talk and uh, we can work it out. So that's the, that's the thing. And, and for the first and last time, so I didn't print one. So I asked them during the class, uh, go on your cell phone, see if you can log into Canvas and uh, look at the syllabus. We went over the grading. I always go over the resources because a lot. when I was a student, I didn't know we had food pantry. I didn't know we, there was a DSPS uh, services because none of the instructors I was taking class with, they didn't go over them. And from my personal experiences, I usually go over them and share with them. We have these resources and don't hesitate to use them. I was PhD students and I noticed I needed extra time during the exam. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. That's part of the DSPS services. So uh, reach out and get those uh, services available to you. That's a good point. I do actually say that after they get a chance to ask their questions on stuff. That I do make a, a point to point that out because I had the same experience. I don't remember knowing of the kinds of resources that were available to me, whether I needed them or not. And I, I feel like a lot of them come from that perspective that yeah. I, I didn't even know stuff was available to me. Yeah. I think for our associate faculty, it is really difficult because if you're on multiple campuses, the resource, they're all called different things and yeah. there's different levels of, you know, what, what people have, what institutions have and don't have. 
And I think Canvas, you know, as Annie was talking about how she organizes things in Canvas, it makes it a lot easier to get all those resources there, you know, instead of just trying to cram it all into like a paper syllabus or something like that. Something that people in my department um, do, and I'm sure they do this across campus, is they have a scavenger hunt mm -hmm. for the resources, the resources. on campus, yeah, right? Yeah, and they right. do they use the first or second day of class to bring the students out onto the campus and look for the writing center, look for the food pantry, go over to student equity, find out what's happening there, um, go to the STEM center, right? And, and know that that's on the first floor of the library. And I think that that is a great way to introduce them to those things. Instead That's of it awesome. just being static and so on paper, totally it's, agree. no, there's people there. And you yeah. can now see their faces and know that next time you come here, you can talk to this person and, and utilize this resource. It's interesting. So then the, the syllabus is a roadmap for our individual course, but I'm hearing it's also intended to be a roadmap to the institution itself yeah. also, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, we're with so. yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. I was looking on um, Mir Costa's uh, syllabus requirements webpage <laughs> today, uh, and one of the things that, uh, and it tells you, like, you, here's a list of all the things that can be in a syllabus. Some of them are, are italicized, and you have to have them. Sure. Anything else is just sort of optional. Late work policies apparently are optional. Um, there's quite a few things in there I'm surprised that are actually optional. Right. Right. Um, but one of the things that are italicized is our institutional learning outcomes. Yes. That we are all supposed to have yep. the Miracosta <laughs> and Sean's grimacing a little. She's very upfront. This was there's my reaction to. Interesting looks on people's faces right now. Yes. <laughs> but so just kind of what we were just saying, and it sounds like we agree here. There is a. If I'm going to create a roadmap for my students, there are places I want that map to take them on campus. Um, what about these institutional learning outcomes? Um, I, I call them very abstract, but I think they're aiming at encouraging the scholarship, um, the love of learning and love of applying it in our life. And those competencies are, and I won't read the whole thing, but it, this is upon commencement. So uh, students will uh, have uh, gained knowledge of human cultures and the physical and natural world. They will have gained intellectual and practical skills, including, and a whole list of them, which includes uh, critical thinking, uh, information literacy, uh, uh, written and oral communication skills, among lots of others. And then the last one is they will have gained personal and social responsibility and efficacy, including, and then another list, which includes uh, ethical reasoning, um, goal setting, uh, civic knowledge, just to name a few. So all of that. So this is mandatory. We need to have wrong. this on the syllabus. It's italicized on the document checklist, the syllabus checklist. So I'm reading that as <laughs> yes. Look at Sean's face. <laughs> so it says it's mandatory. We need to have it on the syllabus. Yes. So, so you're telling me if you look up on the, on the syllabus, like 99% they're gonna have this. No, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's required. I'm saying it is sad. It's, like, it's, <laughs> it's required as words or as a hyperlink. Exactly. That's a good one. So Andy's very clever. This checklist offers items you may consider in designing the style, tone, and co components of your syllabus. Required items are identified in italics. Others are offered in suge as suggestions. And then if you scroll down to uh, about course content, the one, two, three, four, five, sixth bullet is institutional core competencies italicized. Give us a couple more italicized ones for our listeners. Maybe that you know yeah. need to know what needs to be in the syllabus here. And we'll link this somewhere. Okay. Yes, in the show notes. This yeah. will be in the show notes. Yes. We are crying in the room. 
Yes. Yeah. So I think we're all looking I around in the person that reads the document <laughs> and I so just got my ass handed to me because I swear I've read that document. What is yeah, the, what is the updated remember. date on this yeah. thing? Yes. What, is the, always what is the revision date on this thing? Okay, let's see. Hold on. Uh, oops, sorry. That's, sorry. that's our checklist. So I'm going to check right? Yeah, that, this is probably new. Something is very wrong. <laughs> I, I bet it's not new. On, oh, okay. Updated spring 2018. Okay, so some other required things uh, are probably what you expect. We have to the course prefix and number, yeah. semester and year, your name, your contact information. You don't have to list your office hours, which I is interesting. I did notice that. I thought yeah. that was curious. Uh, if it's a if so, and there's certain things for online classes that are not true for on-site classes, right? right? right. Um, and then and then the other things you would expect like. Uh, objectives, uh, learning outcomes, um, required materials, and if you're going to go on field trips or do random stuff, that's required too. That's the gist. DSPS is also required. one of the it's yeah. Required. There's no other support services that we're required to tell them about. Tell them about. Um, I think one of the cool things our Office of Student Services did last semester, they created a PDF document of all the yeah. services available to students. Al-Qaeda, the VP of our student services, sent it out early in uh, fall. I, mm -hmm. I think that was tremendous. Because it very much had the list of everything that would have taken 10 pages of my syllabus yeah. in one PDF. I very much appreciated that, too. That was beautiful. Please continue doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's fun. You can upload it into Canvas, or you can just put a link Easily. in Canvas to yeah. it. And I did all that, too. So I have you know things listed in the paper, right, the printed version of the syllabus. But then I have a help page in Canvas, too. And so now I'm wondering... Am I helping or hurting <laughs> by doing sort of double duty, right? Listing it in both places. Does that help people? Does that confuse people even more? Because now there's two places to get the information. And I guess it depends on who you ask as to which answer you get, right? right. Yeah, multiple access points, yeah. right? Yeah, the accessibility. You know, like these services are available, but just for online, we've created this uh, student support hub, right? And yeah. now it shows up in every student's Canvas dashboard and they can access online counseling mm -hmm. and on you know online tutoring and those type of things. And I, I don't know. I think that it's I know student services, this is a, always a big challenge for them and maybe just like us a big challenge to get students to actually read the syllabus and, and to refer back to it is like you can create these things but how do we get the students yeah. to actually them, engage yeah. Yeah, and, and, and to, to um, use these services, especially when they need them, right? I mean, there are tons of students out there that um, feel like they don't need DSPS services, and they may, right? Maybe some students don't feel like that they should be food insecure, and the food pantry is for students who are more needy than them when they would benefit from having a sack lunch, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know... Where is our responsibility as classroom faculty in pointing them to these services and getting them to understand that these are in fact for you? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks, thank everybody. you. Everybody. Thank you. Cool. Heard a lot of stuff there from our colleagues. Yep. Uh, do students read the syllabus? Variety of ways of presenting the syllabus. Syllabus is an invitation or is a contract. Sean talked about love and, and putting that in the syllabus. I thought that was awesome. And how to introduce students to important resources and how to make them relevant. And so in our next episode, when we're, when we're having this conversation with students, um, and this came up in the conversation today. Uh, uh, Sean once or twice said, I can't wait to hear what the students think about this. 
right? Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's like maybe we will get some answers to the questions that were posed by our colleagues, and maybe not. We'll see where they take it. You know, we're not going to prompt them, and we're not going to give them specific questions to answer. It's just the one word, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what they have to say. That's I'm right. Excited. Yeah, me too. And so as we listen to that episode next week, you know, what can we glean for that? For next semester, when we revise our syllabus once again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> maybe he'll, he'll give us some tips, yeah. and, and we can make it even more appealing to them and make it a little more accessible. Right on. We'd like to say thank you to Kelly Barnett for engineering and producing this episode. We'd also like to say thank you to James Garcia for creating the show notes and managing our social media. Thank you for listening to the Safe Topics Podcast. <laughs>